Well, guys, welcome to the September call. Thanks for jumping on, guys. It is National Coffee Day, so uh, we have uh, talked a little bit about it, and uh, we're excited for all of you guys to be joining us, and uh, we're just going to be talking about youth ministry and what's going on. And so uh, I know that uh, you guys got some coffee with you and uh, excited. So thanks for jumping on. Just want to talk with... um, you guys about a couple of things. First of all, this is our one-year anniversary of the call. We started last September, and so uh, just super stoked about all that uh, go- is going on, and uh, hopefully it's been beneficial to you and, and helpful. Uh, a couple of announcements just before we jump in is, uh, one, uh, Victory School of Leadership. We are uh, booking services at this time, uh, and so uh, we're, we're pretty booked up for the first semester. Uh, I think that we have one open date in November, um, but uh, next semester, second semester, we would love to book some stuff up. Um, And also, we have our November 2nd preview day coming up. Uh, Two things I want to let you guys know about that. One is, is if you have students that uh, are available to come up, juniors or seniors in high school or post-high school students that would love to come out, we would uh, be uh, honored to have them come. We'd love to host them and and, uh, give them some food and just kind of tell them about the program, what we're doing, uh, see if it might be a good fit for them um, to to come and get their college education and ministry training. And uh, we'd love to, to hang out with them. Also, for those of you that are in the Oklahoma metro area, uh, we'd love to come out and do uh, an announcement, um, just to come out for a couple of minutes and just share about preview day and what's going on and just kind of talk to your students about seeing if they might be able to come out for that. Also, next month, our call will be October 27th. Uh, call will be October 27th. We'd love to have you guys on the call and uh, jump on in. But uh, uh, right now, I want to introduce uh, Bo Adora. He is a youth pastor and has been in ministry for uh, 11 years, and uh, eight and a half of those he spent... Uh, with Master's Commission and developing uh, a leadership program down there. And uh, he has been a youth pastor for a few years at his church. He's actually been at his church for a long, long time, was uh, in children's church, in youth ministry, and is now the youth pastor there and uh, just doing a a great, great job. And uh, he's going to talk about something that I'm sure everybody uh, knows about and wants to um, get better at, which is recruiting and keeping students, and so, or sorry, keep, keeping adult leaders, and so everyone needs more leaders, everyone uh, wants more leaders, and so we'll be talking about how to recruit and keep student and adult leaders, and so, Bo, why don't you jump on in, man, and uh, take it away, it's all yours. Man, thanks so much, Ryan, uh, and I want to say thanks to everyone who's on the call today. I know that uh, for most of you, last night was the biggest night of the week, and you guys went to bed super tired, uh, exhausted, just giving everything that you have to this generation. And so uh, as a co-laborer, as somebody who, um, who is committed to the call of God on their life to reach this generation, uh, I say thanks for working alongside of everyone and for investing into the gen- this generation. Uh, I know that you guys know as well as I do is that there's never been more an, a more important time uh, for people to reach out and connect with this generation. Uh, for for most of them, they've been written off. They've been labeled something that uh, that we know God says something completely different. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Ryan, man. Ryan is a legend. Uh, Ryan is one of the most genuine pr- people I know, and I know if you guys are on this call and you have a relationship with Ryan, you know the same thing. And so, Ryan, thanks so much, man, for setting this up and allowing an opportunity and a platform for people like myself and, and other people across the country to learn and glean and grow from one another, um, hear from one another's mistakes and learn from those things. And so I just appreciate, so appreciate your time and your investment. Uh, and to us as youth pastors and youth leaders as we're Definitely don't have everything figured out, but we're just trying to do this thing uh, with the best of our ability. Uh, like you said, my name is Bo Dore. Uh, I'm 31 years old. Uh, I've been married for uh, nine years. Uh, I've got four kids. Um, got 
seven-year-old twins that are boy and girl. I got a four-year-old son, and then uh, my youngest, uh, he'll be two uh, here in a couple weeks. And so uh, we know a couple things. We know that uh, the call of God is important, and then we know that family is important. And so we try to do the best we can with both of those. Um, real quick, uh, and I can do this again at the end of the conference call, but if there's anything that I say uh, and, and you want more questions that are just kind of outside of this call, I want to just drop my email and my number to you guys. So if you have a pen and paper or if you want to shoot me a text and I can shoot you the other information. But my, my cell number is 337-517-9606, 337-517-9606. Nine six zero six. I have a lot of information that we're going to be talking about today, and so I have documents and all those things that back up all these things that we're going to be talking about, but I just want to kind of hit bullet points. Uh, that way we can kind of keep this call going and then keep uh, any questions or, or anything later. I'd love to answer those things, and if obviously it goes past the, the conference call time, uh, I'd love to be connected with you guys and help you out in any way that I can. Um, obviously, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have this opportunity without my church, Crossroads Church here in Lafayette, Louisiana, and my pastor, Jeff and Donna Abels, um, who I've had the honor and uh, privilege of serving alongside and with them for, for 11 years. I've sat under their leadership. I'm a son of the house. Uh, longevity is a rarity. I realize that, but I also know that there's something to be said for great leadership, and so I just want to thank them uh, for this opportunity, for giving me this platform to be able to be able to share with you guys. If you have your Bibles today, uh, I don't want to get super preach or anything, but I just believe that the Word of God is full of uh, full of material that can help us learn, grow. Uh, I'm going to be reading a pretty familiar passage of Scripture it's in First Samuel chapter 18. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about how to recruit and keep student leaders and adult leaders. Um, before we kind of go into the real practical, basic side of things, I want to I address a few things as it relates to leadership. Uh, I believe that it's imperative for us as student leaders, as student pastors, or whatever area of leadership that you're in, whether it's youth, young adults, or you're kind of on sabbatical right now waiting for uh, a season to step into full-time ministry, I think it's important for us to all understand that as leaders, We've got to go through certain things ourselves in order for people to look at us and have the ability to follow us. Uh, and so let's talk about that for a few moments. First uh, Samuel chapter 18, uh, I'll read the first five verses. It says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as, his, as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off a robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even the sword, his bow, and his belt. This is the scripture I really want to focus on today. It said this, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high ranking in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's of officers as well. Uh, let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have to spend together. God, I thank you, God, that no matter where we are in life, God, that we're always in a place to receive a word from you, instruction. And, uh, God, we pray that you'd use this time, help us to have open hearts and open ears to hear and to receive the things you have for us. God, we love you. God, we thank you for the call to ministry. We thank you for the opportunity to serve this generation. And God, I pray that we would learn and grow in this season, no matter what we're going through today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so the first thing I want to bring out is, in this passage of Scripture, is this, is that, is that David understood his role. I think it's so important for us as student pastors to understand our role. He understood his role because the Scripture says that whatever Saul sent him to do, he did it. Whatever Saul sent him to do, he did it. I think it's so easy to get caught up sometimes in the ask and in the things that we get caught up doing that we think has nothing to do with our role. We, we step into student ministry, we step into college ministry, and we feel like, well, my ministry is to sit down at a coffee shop and, and give somebody seven steps on how they should go after this thing that called Christianity, or, or I should be uh, doing hospital visitations, or I should be spending all of my time on the campus, and, and my pastor or my leader wants me to be in the office this many hours, and I've got to get this thing done. I've got to, I've got to set up all the chairs in my auditorium. I've got to 
run lights. I've got to learn how to run sound. I've got to make sure that I'm sitting here on Sunday mornings. And we got all these things, and, uh, and it can be so easily distracted. We can get so easily distracted on the minor things that we lose sight on the calling. And the calling that David understood is that he understood his role. His role, our role, is so, so very important, especially when it comes to recruiting people because people will look at us as a leader in their life and they will judge us based on the way that we follow our leaders. And David understood his role, whatever Saul sent him to do. Ryan alluded to it for eight and a half years. uh, I was the associate director. I was the second man. I was the second tier. Uh, I had vision and goals and dreams, but my vision, goals, and dreams were set aside because I was attending to and faithfully serving another man's vision, goals, and dreams, and I had to understand my role. In order to have longevity and success, I had to understand my role, and my role was whatever my director, my pastor asked me to do, I had to do to make sure that I understood this is the way that I was going to see success happen in ministry. Um, if you ask me, Bo, what's, your, what's the things you hate to do the most? Uh, on the top of that list, there will be other things, but on the very top of that list is going to be I absolutely hate driving a bus. I do not dr- – there's nothing appealing to me about driving a bus. I can't stand getting on a bus knowing that I'm going to sit in the driver's seat. I can't stand the traffic. I can't stand the little cars that weave in and out and think that just because it's a big vehicle, they can just cut right in front of you. Uh, I, can't stand, there's, I can't stand pulling into a truck stop and having to grab that greasy diesel gas handle uh, with, with your hands and then having to go and wash your hands and your hands smelling like diesel for the next 38 hours. I cannot stand driving a bus. But I understood that in my role, if I wanted to effectively minister to people, if I wanted the opportunity to minister to people all across this country, that there were going to have to be several hours spent in a bus, and somebody was going to have to drive that bus. So my director looked at me and said, Bo, we need a bus driver. And I understood that my role, if I was going to be successful, if I wanted the opportunity to be successful, I had to do whatever he asked me to do. And sometimes we have to sit in that bus seat. Sometimes we have to sit in that driver's seat and say, you know what, I can't stand this, but this opportunity affords me the ability to do what I really want to do. David understood his role. When Saul got his orders, he went out and did exactly what his leader told him to. When Saul told David, see, David's desire was to complement the vision and direction of his leader. So it brings me to my first point this morning is this, is that you have to succeed in your support role. We have to understand that we are a support role. Um, When it comes to student and adult leaders, when it comes to being a youth pastor or a student pastor or a college pastor, you have to learn to succeed in your support role. I think the problem that so many people oftentimes face is that we feel as though we've arrived because this is the pinnacle of our current calling, is that we're a student pastor, and we forget that we are there to support the leadership and the direction of our senior pastor, our senior advisors in the workplace, the CEOs, those people. We have to support, learn our support role. Our motto should be, if anyone loses, everyone loses. This is where David experienced. This is where David experienced the height of his success. He was a team player. Um, David understood that he had to succeed in his support role. Now, there's a few things that come with success. There's a few things that David experienced with success. He experienced a promotion, which we all love promotion because promotion means a lot of things. It means more opportunity. It means more money. Come on, somebody. We can, uh, we can splurge, not have ramen noodles. We can have another. Uh, we can step from ramen noodles to a McDonald's diet. Uh, we get a promotion. Uh, the second thing was he got favor with people. We all love to be loved by people. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, you all, we all want to be validated and we all want to be honored and have favor with people. David experienced that. David had respect with those he led, people who he led respected him the most. I think that says the most about integrity, says the most about leadership and your ability. Um, Those three things are incredible. We all want a promotion. We all want favor with people. And then we all want respect from those that we lead. 
But this is the thing that came with David that he dealt with probably with the most integrity and I believe is what ultimately allowed him to sit on that throne as king was this, is that he learned how to deal with trouble from his leader. And I think so oftentimes when we succeed in our support role and we're asking our student leaders and our adult leaders to succeed in, our, in, in a support role, there will come times where you will get some kind of adverse opinion, some kind of adverse look or snarl or conversation from a leader, and you have got to be in a place where you can deal with trouble from any leader. Now, trouble doesn't mean that you are running from your king and he's trying to kill you like David experienced. Maybe, maybe that trouble is he's constantly looking at you and he's, he's stepping into your youth service and figuring out, hey, what, what's the numbers really look like? What's the service programming really look like? And he's questioning things, and you may be dealing with some of those things now, but you have to understand that you have to be in a place to learn how to deal with trouble from any of your leaders, and your leaders have to learn how to deal with trouble. Um, see, Saul, the funny thing is, is, that, is that Saul was hearing these reports in 1 Samuel 18. It says this. It says, it says that David was killing tens of thousands and Saul only killing thousands. The king was diminished in a chant that the people were singing. See, the king didn't have the ability to see that, hey, we're winning. Whether I'm the guy who's being elevated or David is, it doesn't matter. It's all for the common good. But his jealousy, his jealousy allowed him to see success through a different lens and a lens that came with jealousy. Jealousy creeps in when trouble settles. Jealousy is the tribute that mediocrity pays to achievers. Jealousy is the tribute that mediocrity pays to achievers. If you have jealousy in your heart, chances are that there's mediocrity as well. And so what have you allowed, if there's jealousy in your heart today, what have you allowed in your life to lay dormant and be mediocre? We have to be able to ask ourselves that question. What jealousy do I have in my heart? A few things that we can ask ourselves when it comes to jealousy and what jealousy does to leaders and youth pastors and senior pastors and, and student and adult leaders is this, is it causes them to lose respect. It causes them to lose focus. It causes them to lose true leadership, and it causes them to lose the organization. Saul experienced all of these things not because of something he was doing wrong, but because he lost sight of what he was supposed to be doing and was fixed on what someone else was doing. My second thing that I want to talk about this morning is this, is you have to grow where you're planted. You have to grow where you are planted. We, we read this earlier, and, and it says this. It says, in everything he did, he being David, he had great success. In everything he did, he had great success. I think success can be marginalized by student pastors and people who are in ministry. It, success can be marginalized to our one service a week, our, our small groups, our, our conversations at a coffee shop, um, our conversations on a phone call or a text message. But here we see in the life of David that everything he did, he had success. And so my question to you is this, is when you leave your staff meeting with your pastors and when you leave uh, with the notes and you look at your uh, you look at the, the list of things that you're supposed to do in your job responsibility and your task list. Is everything on that list giving, getting the best of you? Or is some of those things getting pushed aside because for you it just doesn't mean that much? If that's the case, that will transcend into the people that you are trying to recruit and keep. A conversation will excite somebody, but who you give them to look at will keep them. And, they, and, and, it's, and it's who they will become. Uh, I believe it's John Maxwell, he talks about the law of the lid, and we only have the ability to reproduce someone to the lid that we place over them. And they can, only, they can only reproduce who they see, not who that you say that you are. And so 
a conversation and recruitment is one thing, but after they've spent time with you and they see how you respect other people, that then is the person that you are recreating in that season. See, instead of, you know, David, we, we know that he went through multiple things and he went through multiple trials and there was a season where Saul was trying to kill him and, and he, was, he was hoping that David would get killed in, in, in battle. So he was putting him on the edge of battle to try to get him killed. He was putting him in positions and situations to try to get him uh, to be uh, removed from the season because he was an insecure, jealous person. I wonder if we flip that this morning and we ask ourselves this question. Let's not make it about recruitment for just a moment and ask ourselves, where am I? Am I in a place where I am experiencing more jealousy because I've allowed mediocre things to take over in my life? And maybe that jealousy doesn't exist in your church. Maybe that jealousy exists on Instagram when you're following other youth ministries. Maybe that jealousy exists on friends who went to Bible college with you and they, you feel like they have a better situation because their senior pastor is, more, is funner to be around or, or, or their leadership believes in them and, and, and you're, you've allowed the Twitter world to control your emotional state. Uh, and we know what the, the, the cliche about Twitter is you, you post the best and hide the rest. And so we're reading everyone's best and we're allowing – our lives to be identified, or our lives to be evaluated on what other people are posting. See, David didn't bounce out, but instead he grew up. He didn't bounce out when the situation got bad. He grew up in the situation. He grew where he was planted. See, growing where you're planted is a great idea when everything is, is thriving and flourishing. But growing where we're planted isn't a great idea when everything around us looks dead and looks like it's struggling. God has something for us in every season and in every situation that we're in. In 11 years of serving at a church, it's not always been the greatest opportunity. It's not always been the greatest moments. But what I, where I have found success and where I have found growth is identifying the area that I can grow in, even in a situation and in a moment where it looks rough and it looks like things are turning for the worse. We, why we bounce out instead of growing up, and, I, and when we talk about this, I want us to think about mentality because we can easily think, oh, well, we can bounce out and just go to another place, but the truth is, is that if we bounce out, we've bounced out mentally long before we've ever bounced out physically. And so why we bounce out instead of growing up that mentality, there's a few things that I want to bring up in that is, is one, we get distracted. We mentioned this earlier. We look at everyone succeeding and we think, uh, well, I could do that if this situation was differently. We get depressed. Uh, we're disappointed, and we think that we are reaping what we don't deserve. It's, God, I put in all the hours in the prayer, and, and I married the right person that was going to be a co-laborer with me. We should be in a better situation. We should be in a better circumstance. Uh, we should be in a place where we should not be experiencing this, at, you know, this adversity. We should be in a place where we are succeeding nonstop. And then the last thing is we forfeit the dream. We forget why we are where we are. The dream that kept you awake when you, when you were trying to go to sleep because your heart was burdened for this generation. The dream that was made alive when you were at that altar and your youth pastor prayed over you and commissioned you and said, one day you will be whatever it is. The dream that you forfeit in the moment spent reading your Bible where God's word came alive and it was made made flesh in you and you could not stop thinking about the moments. The dream, we forfeit the dream because we bounced out mentally instead of growing up. And I would, I would propose to you this idea is that when the situations around you seem negative and seem like nothing else is, nothing's good going to come out of it, you've got to realize that God is trying to teach you something 
before he can reveal things to other people. So the quicker you can learn what you need to fix, the better off you are. There's a story of a bird who, was, uh, who lived in Canada, and the bird uh, w- decided that he was going to stay home uh, in the winter because at the time he just waited a little too long to fly home. And so winter came, and it was super, super cold, and so he finally made a decision a little late that he was going to fly south uh, for the winter. And as the bird began to fly, the rain caught him, and he began to freeze. And so as his wings began to freeze, he began to drift on down, and he spotted a barn. And so the bird drifted into the barn, went into the barn, found himself laying there in the barn. When he found himself in the barn, he, he was walking around trying to the frost, and a cow came by and dropped a turd on the, on the bird. The bird realized, wow, this is way warmer than I was before. And because of the warmth that the, the cow had blessed this bird with, the bird began to sing. The cat heard the noise. The cat walked by. He heard the noise, and he walked into the barn. He removed the poop from the bird, and then the cat ate the bird. I know what you're thinking right now. Bo, that is the most ridiculous story I've ever heard in my life. But real quick, I got, uh, there's three morals to this story that if you will allow me and humor me for just a moment, I think that we can all identify with these three morals. The first moral is this, is that not everybody that poops on you is your enemy. The second one is this, is that not everybody that takes the, the poop off of you is your friend. And the third thing I think is the most important thing. If someone poops on you, you're better off keeping your mouth shut. And I think that in ministry, we oftentimes forget that we're working with people. We excuse in our lives, but we hold other people to a standard that we don't even hold ourselves to. We've got to grow where we're planted. My third thing this morning is this, is that you've got to rise above the situation with the right attitude. David Brinkley says this. He says, a successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks others have thrown at him. See, David continually gave faithful service and respect to his king. 1 Samuel 24, uh, in verse 10, it says this. It says, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. We don't have to respect the man, but we do have to respect the office. David didn't respect, he didn't have to respect the man, but he respected the office of king. And we've got to be people who do those things. To focus on what's wrong with the leader is really just a distraction from the real issue that exists. The problem is not out there with them, but in here with me. Hugh Downs said this, he said, a happy person is not a person in a set of circumstances, but rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. Your attitude is everything. It's not what happens to me, but what's in me that counts. And so addressing all of those things and talking about us as the person, us as the leader, I want to get to a little bit more practical things, which I know is is the reason why Um, maybe this conversation intrigued you, uh, was how to recruit and keep uh, student leaders and adult leaders. And I've not got everything figured out, but I do do understand a little bit of something when it comes to recruitment. Um, And and here I want to talk to you kind of shifting gears um, as we, we, we look at everything that we've just talked about and saying, okay, whether it's me, my leadership, or the leadership I'm trying to recruit, I've got to make sure that all these things are in line, and I've got to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And so when it comes to recruitment, I, I like to use acronyms because when it comes to recruitment, you're always recruiting. You're always talking to people. I, I think that it's important for us to keep things in the forefront of our mind. And if it's simple, um, my dad used to tell me this growing up. He's like, Bo, it's the, it's the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. And so 
uh, that's kind of the things that I like to do. Um, no, my dad didn't call me stupid all my life. It was just a metaphor, and so don't. Uh, you can pray for me, but I don't have daddy issues. Uh, <laughs> hey, so um, so the word care. Uh, let's break the word care down. I think that when it comes to recruiting people, we have to care about who we're recruiting. And so that's a phrase in and of itself, but let's break it down. And so with C, C is kind of a triple a triple threat. Um, C for me is conversation, conviction, and culture. Conversation, conviction, and culture. I'll, I'll go through these in, in a little bit of detail in just a second. A is the ask. A is for ask. Ask has to be bigger than the task. The ask has to be bigger than the task. R is very simple. R is about recruiting. You've got to recruit. You have to, have to recruit. And then E is for empowerment. We've got to empower our people. So going back to letter C, conversation, conviction, and culture. If you don't have conversations that bring conviction into their life, they won't be at a place to fully serve. The culture has to be we and not they. The culture has to be we and not they. A conversation has to be had with the people that you want. Keeping people in a place of leadership, you got to understand that unless you have three to five years to develop every leader into their maximum potential, you better be recruiting people that have been proven themselves to be faithful in the areas that they're already serving. And let me just let you in on an insight. Those people that are already capable are already busy. They're already doing things. They're high-capacity leaders. They're people that have great strength, and so their workplace notices it. Their family notices it. Other areas in the church may notice it. And if you want them, you've got to recruit them. And you can't send them a document saying, hey, can you fill out this application so that you can serve me and our leadership team. Documents are important, but conversations trump documents all day long. I do have documents, but conversations is what people what get people in the door. And not just a conversation that's very broad, a conversation that brings conviction. And I'm not telling you to tell them that they're a sinner. I'm talking about conviction and passion, conviction that, hey, this is something that we need. This generation needs people like you in their life. They are struggling with this. They're struggling. This generation needs father figures. They need mother figures. They need people that are right above them in their age and who they want to be. They need people that can draw uh, the best out in them. It has to have conviction. And then you're talking about culture. I'm I'm not recruiting you to put you on an island. I'm recruiting you to be a part of us, to be a part of we to be a part of my life, do life with us. The ask has to be big but doable. The ask has to be bigger than the task. See, you've got to ask something that will intrigue people. You've got to ask them something that is going to inspire them. You've got to ask them questions that will invoke thoughts, that will invoke things that they will think about before they go to bed at night. You've got to ask them big questions. And it has to be doable, but it can't be simple. Simple things will waste high-capacity leaders' times. So you've got to give them things that will invoke their dreams, invoke their passions, and invoke what they are good at. Recruit. Recruitment has nothing to do with documents. The document is the last thing that the person you're trying to recruit gets. There's a reason why signing day in college football is such a big deal. Because the recruitment that's been going on for the last six, seven, eight years in that athlete's life comes to a final thing, a document. The last thing that they'd sign is a document. If colleges just sent documents out to all their football players, all it would take would be one coach to visit all those players, and I promise you the majority would go with the personal visitation. Why? Because conversation is important. Com- recruitment can't be about documents. It's got to be about conversation. You got to be able to give them a glimpse into the future. Uh, I had the privilege of being a part of Cadre, and many of you may know what that is, but with Jeannie Mayo. And so she talks about this thing about having Paul Revere's, about influencers. And every Sunday morning, uh, my office would stay open, and I knew that I would have students sneak into my office, and they would do some sort of silly prank, whether it was flipping my furniture or, or taking candy out of the office or doing whatever. 
And I knew this was going to happen. Uh, I tried to lock in the office, and they found a way to break in. Uh, and so I began to do some things a little bit more, a little bit strategic. And so I have a big whiteboard in my office, and I wrote Paul Revere, super big. And then I wrote a bunch of influential student leaders' names on this board and intentionally left out a few of them, the few that were breaking into my office. So they'd come into my office, and they'd see this board, and they'd read all the names of a ton of students that are in our, in our ministry that are influencers, and none of their names were on it. And so they would sit in my office knowing that they were going to be there, and they'd look at this thing not knowing, knowing who Paul Revere is but not knowing what it meant. And so their name was off of it. After a few weeks, I come into my office and notice that they would handwrite their own name under this list because they were intrigued. And without failure, I would come in the following week and erase it. And so the next Sunday, they'd come in and see all the other names, and their name's still not there. And so till finally, that allowed me the opportunity to sit down with them and challenge them. Because before, I was just the guy, the youth pastor, doing what the youth pastor was supposed to do calling out things in them, encouraging them. And it was so, for them, it was so superficial. It was just lip service. But because they saw I was going somewhere and because they saw an opportunity that they were excluded from, they then began to change the way that they led. I know it's a silly thing, but sometimes recruitment, you've got to be creative, people. Your conversations can't be, hey, I need some people to come serve with me, and uh, we'll see you Wednesday night. That just doesn't work. It doesn't work for teenagers, and it for sure will not work for adults. You've got to be creative when it comes to recruitment. And then the last one is empower. You've got to remind them. Well, not remind. Everywhere they go, everywhere they go around, they're reminded of how terrible they are. They're reminded of how inadequate they are. They're reminded of what they can't do and what they can't become. Your empowerment has to be bigger than all that. And your empowerment can't be, dude, I just really need somebody to set up chairs for me. You're better than that. You set up the chairs, and you give that student a better opportunity. Give him or her a chance to succeed in an area. That's how you recruit people. The last thing I want to say to this and um, it, are two things. Recruitment's in three levels, I believe, is that peer, peer-to-peer, which is student leaders, you got to have leaders in there that give your students a glimpse into who they want to be, which is college and young adult age. And then you got to have people who they can be, which is your adults and grandparents. I believe that some of our best leaders are people who have, who have kids that are already married because they've learned a ton, and it's an opportunity for them to go – and speak into students' lives the most important thing because they've raised kids who love God. It's so important. Don't ever undermine or underestimate the power of an old person. And I know old person may not be politically correct, but as a student pastor, you'll understand that an older person in your student ministry brings a ton of value. Let them be the student's spiritual grandparents. Let them be the student's spiritual grandmother or grandfather. Let them be the person who gets up there and and is willing to dress funky one day and do some silly thing and gain influence and opportunity. Not everybody can do it, but there are a few people in your church, I'm willing to bet, that would do it. And those people bring a ton of value to your program. The last thing, when I'm recruiting, I'm looking for fat people. Fat people. As I said before, acronyms are huge. And so fat people stands for this. Faithful, accountable, and teachable. I want people who are faithful. I want people who are willing to be accountable. And I want people that are willing to be teachable. You can work with those people. The difference between the teams that win and the teams that struggle is how well they recruit. You are always, always recruiting. And so I jotted down a few things a few opportunities that you may or may not be missing. You may have crushed this on so many different levels, but just some things that I've observed to give students an opportunity. Um, If you are currently doing all these things and you're robbing your students of an opportunity, if you're running all your social media, there's a student out there who's way more talented than you that you can give that to. 
I do a thing called Google Drive with my student leaders, and I'll give them a sermon series a couple months in advance, and I'll give them an opportunity to look for creative resources, whether it's funny, uh, humorous, serious, whatever, and I put it on Google Drive, and I say, hey, send me all your stuff, anything you find, and I give them opportunity to speak into that sermon series. Uh, if you are an adult leader or running pro presenter, you can teach a student leader. A lighting engineer, not somebody, hey, I just need you to run lights. No, it's a lighting engineer. Hey, I need you to run sound. No, it's a sound engineer. I need a service manager. I need a student who understands and cares about the way that this service goes and gives them an opportunity to be talking to all the people who are communicating from the platform, hey, making sure, hey, your mic is here. This is where it's going to be, working on transitions, a service manager. I need students who are in service that are on a row for a specific assignment. Uh, this is totally a Jeannie Mayo steal, but row host and hostess. Hey, I need you to care about the people on your row. Talk to them. Find out where they're at. Remind them of the announcements. I have a first impressions team. When my students walk through the, fir- the front door, they're going to see so many smiling faces. If they're having a bad day, they're going to forget about it for the next hour and a half because of the first impressions. And then also opportunities on the stage from the platform. Your students that are having higher capacity to speak on a microphone and challenge people. We have times of prayer on the platform. Our students are doing announcements. Our students are doing offering. I'm giving them as many opportunities to succeed and be in front of their people. Uh, This quote that is something that is always stuck with me. I don't know how long ago I read this, but it says this. It says, it's a conversation. It's an unknown person. It says this. Hey, you remember that guy who gave up? Yeah, neither does anyone else. And so my challenge to you, youth pastors, is don't give up on a student. Always recruit. Always give them opportunity. There is so much potential. There is so much winning uh, that, is, that is in front of you in your student ministry. You just have to step up and find those students. Uh, that's all I got, man. Thank you guys so much. Um, again, I can repeat my, my email and our cell number, my cell number is 337-517-9606 if you guys want any information. Uh, I can shoot you my email. We can correspond via that way. But uh, at this time, man, Ryan, thanks so much, man, for the opportunity. Uh, I so appreciate you. Uh, love you. Bo, that was awesome, man. Thank you guys. So, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, guys, we're going to open up Q&A. We've got a couple minutes, so if, uh, let me open that up. So if you've got a question, go ahead and hit star six. Go ahead and hit star six. That will get you in the queue to go ahead and uh, ask some questions. Vo, uh, man, that was, that was fantastic. Uh, man, a couple of things that stuck out to me is just that, uh, you know, the, the saying that we've all heard, I'm sure, is, you know, in order to have spiritual authority, we've got to be under spiritual authority. Um, and so... Um, you know, just your whole opening, man, was just awesome. Um, that we need to serve our leader, we need to serve our pastor, and so, um, man, thank you so much for that. So, uh, we're going to jump right into our first question. So, um, go ahead, four zero nine area code. Hey, what's up, Bo? This is uh, Jimmy. I'm down in Texas, and uh, what's, what's up, Jimmy? Dude, killed it today. That was great. Uh, when you talk about recruiting, um, that's one thing that I love. I'm a big college football fan, so that connected with me uh, real big. Actually, Ryan and I were at that Alabama-USC game a little bit earlier this year, so I had to Too soon, to too soon, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, man, I, I would be in a position to brag, but we lost our – they fired our coach, man. We, we <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was actually really interesting. We had one of our students got recruited at TCU, and just to see the amount of time and effort that they put in that recruiting, it's just it's insane. Um, yeah. And so I've actually, I was, it was really cool to see him get that happen to him, and then we uh, implemented a lot of that in our youth ministry. Well, and maybe I wanted to see if you had some thoughts on one of the things that we've been trying to do is getting our adult leaders who are killing it to help us recruit. Do you have any thoughts along those lines of like, basically it's part, it's kind of half empowering, half recruiting there, but like saying, hey, look, we need some help recruiting and some of the best recruiters are some of our current leaders. Do you have any thoughts according to that? Uh, yeah, um, and I think, that's, I think that's a ton of wisdom on your part. I think it just takes a little bit of strategy. Um, yeah. is, is, and we just call it the handoff principle. So I will always make that initial contact. Now, my leaders, they know, know me now, and so they'll make that connection. But what, I, what you've got to do is, is that there's no one 
at a higher seat in a student's life in the church world than the actual student pastor. And so if the student is always feeling like they're getting recruited by a leader, they don't feel like they're as important. So they may feel like a two-star athlete instead of a five-star athlete. We all know that the five-star athletes get the most attention from the coaches and the highest level of recruiting as possible because they've got all the talent. And so what I'll do is I will notice or find a few people, and I will make that initial contact, but I will have my killer leader with me. And I'll have that conversation. I'll just talk, man, I'll cast vision for 10, 15 minutes, and then I will, I will celebrate everything that my leader does super, super well. And so if I'm there and I've got my guy Chase on the side of me, I'll say, man, look, Zach, this – Dude, you have so much opportunity to serve in this ministry. I see that you do this super well. You do all these things. And, dude, I just want you to know that we've got room for you at the table. As a matter of fact, Chase, Chase oversees the entire wing of creative communications. So you're, 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 you're making things super big to where now whoever your leader is in front of the person you're trying to recruit, that leader is now on the same platform as you were in their eyes. And so that's the way you've got to help them succeed a little bit in front of them because the issue isn't going to be your leader not wanting to recruit. The issue is the person you're trying to recruit doesn't see that leader of same value as they see you. Yeah. that make sense? Yeah. yeah, man. That's what's up. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And that really kind of helps us take that to the next level as well. So I'm going to go ahead and get that stuff rolling ASAP, man. That's good. Appreciate it, bro. Jimmy, you're awesome, bro. I appreciate you. All right. Uh, I believe it's Michael Moore up next. Yeah, hey, that was awesome. Uh, a lot of stuff that uh, I think I overlook as a, as a youth pastor. Um, my question is, is I, have, I have a couple of leaders that are adult leaders, and they're at, at the beginning when we did the recruiting process and we got some of those guys in there, they were really good. They were on fire. Uh, I guess their attitudes were on point, but it kind of there was a shift. I'm just wondering how do you how do you deal with that when there is a shift, like an attitude, or if there's things that you don't find that's, that's really good or possibly appropriate that is happening. How how do you how do you deal with that? You know um, that that's that's. That's a great question. Um, I, I would I would say this, and I, I've always kind of lived by this principle when it comes to ministry. Um, for me, a no from God is just as important as a yes from God. And so I understand and know that there are seasons of transition. Um, how to deal with that, it becomes a very touching situation when you make it a personal thing. But I always refer to, and what I kind of talked about in care, the, first, the letter C, uh, when it comes to culture, I always refer to the culture of this ministry and the culture of our church. If the leader is bringing out anything negative within the ministry, I sit down and have a culture conversation and just say, man, look, the culture of this church and the culture of this ministry is not about that. Is there something you're going through? Is there something I could be praying with you? And, and if they just refuse to be open and honest and, and transparent with you, that you have every authority and every right and an obligation as a student pastor and a student leader to protect your students from any negative influence that would lead them in the wrong direction. One negative can, can undo six months of good if you allow it. And so you have got to make sure that you're use, utilizing the authority and you're talking about culture. Now, what pro, the problem that sometimes we have is that we've not done a good job establishing culture, and so we feel like we can't speak to that. And culture comes in leaders' meetings and leaders' hangouts and leadings and uh, leadership development, and that development can only come from you. You cannot, you cannot delegate leader responsibility when it comes from you. It has to come from you. You're the man. You're the, you're the guy that's casting the vision. And so when it comes to culture, I blame things on culture. Um, culture is not a scapegoat. Culture is what we've established. Culture will allow us to grow forward. 
Culture will allow us to grow through failure. Culture will allow us to see victories and obtain great things as long as we make it about culture. The moment you make it about, hey, I've noticed that you are not serving me or this ministry well, then they have every right to have a negative attitude because you've been taking it away from God and ministry and culture and made it about you. Don't blame you. Don't blame it on make it about your idea, but make it about culture and say, hey, culture doesn't allow this. This is not the culture that we are establishing here at this church, and you know that, you know? And so you just, I would just make it about that. Um, I don't know if that answers your question completely because I don't know the specifics of what you're really talking about, but I think, Michael, I think you have an obligation to make sure that your leadership understands the culture that you and your pastor and your lead team have established. Yeah, no, that was, that was perfect. Yeah, I just I have a couple of tweaks that I have to make. You know, it's just one of those things where, it, you know, you get desperate and you want leaders and you almost take them where they're at and you hope that they transform and catch the vision and, uh, you know, their life changes and everything. But at the same time, it's what you're talking about, is to bring the culture into it and, and really explain to them or figure out where they're at because, they, you know, I think a couple of them are going through some hard times. And so it's kind of where I have to step in and uh, – and walk them through that or make the decision if, it, if it's going to work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hey, and so I'll, say, I'll say this one, one last thing as it relates to that. Uh, I think the misconception when it comes to being a leader is that we so oftentimes feel, um, we feel remorseful and we feel regret when a leader makes the bad decision, and we think that it's on us. And so I would say this, and this is something that my pastor's always told me, is like, Bo, as a leader, you are not held accountable for what people do. You're held accountable for what you give them an opportunity to do or become. And so if you've not given people an opportunity to become great, then you can feel a little bit guilty about that situation. But if you've given them every opportunity and they choose to walk away from that, that's not on your hands as a leader. They're just not in a place where they can receive and understand who they really are in Christ. Yeah, that's really good, man. We got uh, another question. We'll, I know it's eleven o'clock, but we got another question, and we'll we'll wrap it up real quick. Let's uh, let's get to this question uh, real quick. So go ahead, nine one eight. Hey, man. My name is Wes, and I'm uh, I'm actually starting to be a youth pastor right now. And I just I love everything you said and uh, all of your excellent most read a note. Um, but my one question is, you highlighted something briefly. You said that. Uh, Sometimes we forget, like, our dreams, like when a pastor prays over us or, uh, like, in situations like that, when we, like, have the experiences that, like, somewhere along the line, we forget our dreams. I was wondering if you could, like, dive in a little bit deeper on how maybe, like, what are some practices for us, like, maybe get back to those dreams, like, if we do have a season in our life where we, like, forget about them. Like, what are some things we can start doing to, uh, like, kind of, like, reignite that fire and start chasing after our dreams again? Yeah, I, you know, I would. I think it goes back to kind of the point that was ahead over that whole topic was is about growing where you're planted, um, because you know, in prayer, you know, I have a time of prayer and I'll journal, and then do, I never journal about ministering to five students. I never journal about stepping on an opportunity, having an opportunity to you know, one day speak at a camp with 12 students or go to a fall retreat and have two students there. I, those just aren't on my dreams. I, I dream of big stuff, you know. And, and what happens is, is that we see our dreams and then we're faced with reality. And um, there's, there's a gap between where we are and where we want to be. Um, and that gap will always exist because if you are serving the God of this universe, which we all are, your dreams will always grow with where your season takes you. And so um, growing where you're planted has to do with staying focused on you as an individual and not letting the situation or circumstances drive you in the right or wrong direction Um, because you can have an incredible night and go to bed thinking that you've arrived, and that's just as negative as going to bed after a terrible night in service and – and thinking that you'll never arrive and you want to blame everyone else. And I think that it comes when, when you grow where you're planted, you understand and you, you remove all the distractions. Not all distractions are a bad thing. Not all distractions are things that will remove you from ministry. 
Not all distractions come in the form of Bathsheba bathing on top of a, of a roof. You know what I'm saying? Some distractions are, well, let me just listen to this podcast, and I'll write my message based off of what he's saying. And let me hear. And it, it starts small. And when you start small, removing yourself from your dream and following distractions, you will find yourself forfeiting your dream and following someone else's dream. Following someone else's dream or serving alongside someone else's dream is not a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when you no longer have a dream yourself. And I think that God has birthed inside each and every one of us a dream, a passion, and a desire to set people free in whatever realm that we are working in. We don't, we don't desire just to be somebody who is a church attender because we've answered the call of God on our life to be a student pastor or whatever the case may be. Our desire is to do great things, and that should always be. That's not a prideful thing. That's a God thing. David succeeded in everything. Success is a God thing. The problem is is that when we get distracted and we get deterred from our dream and the God dream and we start chasing other things that we think bring fast success, we're not, you know, I tell people all the time, and, and this is probably a stolen thing, but God is not a microwave guy. God is a, a crock pot God, you know. God is planting a tree, not a blade of grass. Like, it takes time and to develop strength. It takes time to grow into who you call to be. And if you stay faithful and you stay committed to the dream that God has for you, then you will see those things happen. And so I would say that it's just to, to stay away from the distractions, man. Um, you're in a great season right now. You're in a season of training and developing. You're about to step into a season that you've been dreaming about, but I would think for quite some time. And so you're, that honeymoon phase, it's like saying yes to your wife, and then the first year is like, oh, my gosh, can this get any better? Yes, it can, but it can also get a lot worse if you don't pay attention to what you need to pay attention to. We can allow distractions to get in the way, and we think that it's not a bad distraction. We think it's a good distraction, but if it deters us away from what God's called us to be, we can find ourselves forfeiting our dream without ever knowing it. And I, th I think that's the point is when we grow where we're planted, we understand, hey, I'm here. I better get everything that I can right now. Because if I want to be who God has birthed in me to be in the dream, it's going to take the things I need to learn now to get there. And so, yeah, that would be my, my response to that. I hope, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, man, that, uh, that was great advice. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, bro. Oh, all right, guys. Thank you guys so much for uh, – and, Bo, that was just – that was killer, man. Any last thoughts for us uh, before we, we head out? Man, I would just I would just say this. It's just we got to stay the course, guys. I think that, you know, when it comes to recruitment, you ain't got to turn – you ain't got to go very far. You just turn on the TV – uh, and, and watch any channel and understand that the enemy understands recruitment. He understands how to recruit people. If, if he's doing a better job than we are, then we're mismanaging our opportunity to excel and, and let the God-given dream on the inside of us come to fruition. Healthy things grow. That's just the truth of it. It's not about numbers. It's about health. And what are you doing now to make your student body, your student ministry, or whatever area more healthy? It has to start with you and the leadership that God has placed in you and around you. If you are making them healthy, the growth will come. Don't just put all your dollars and money into making one big night and then talk about the attendance for that one night for the next year until it comes again. Develop healthy people, and they will grow things that are healthy, and you will see God's favor on your life. Healthy things grow. They don't grow fast. They grow. they got to continue growing. So that would be my last thing, man. Again, Ryan, thank you so much, man, for investing in us and, uh, and believing in this generation. Yeah, Bo, uh, great, great time, man. Thank you so much. I mean, my – Pages are overflowing with notes, man. I've got them all over the place, and uh, great stuff. Uh, very helpful, man. So, so uh, honored to have you here, uh, guys. I, I'd really encourage you guys to reach out, uh, text him, and uh, email. Him, uh, stay, stay in contact. Uh, Bo is a great guy and uh, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and so, just a couple uh, reminders. 
that uh, we are booking services uh, for our worship team as well as speakers. And so if you are uh, looking for a service, we're pretty much booked up for this first semester, but would love to come out uh, for second semester. And uh, also November 2nd is our preview day. We'd love to send you guys some information about that uh, as well as uh, maybe come out and give an announcement about that. Um, and uh, mark your calendars, October 27th, 10 a.m. Central Time. We'll be back together uh, talking youth ministry. So appreciate all you guys. Thank you guys so much for all that you guys are doing. And uh, we look forward to uh, hanging out with all of you guys. Uh, all right, guys. Thank you guys so much. Have a great time. Thank you. Bye.